to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. It's our wrap of the top business stories, and I'm joined uh, to help us take a look at some of these stories by Zuela Kim Guni, who's the Chief Investment Officer and Co-Founder at Benguela Global Fund Managers. Kwabe, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Aya. Good evening to your listeners. Kwabe, I want us to, to start off here with Sun International, and uh, I guess uh, sounding like a sort of stuck record here, but... Um, it seems whenever the results come out from uh, the insurers and some of in, in the tourism sector uh, during this COVID moment, all we hear about is hefty losses, write-downs, and all manner of other things. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sun International uh, advised shareholders that uh, it is going to be making a substantial loss uh, of about $2.9 billion. And uh, part of the loss is because they had to write down the assets and uh, the big thing is that they've been hit hard by uh, COVID-19 and their investments that they made a few years ago in South America have also uh, not worked out so well. So they, they were left with debt and they had to be a rights issue. And, and, and if you think about that rights issue, I mean, in, in August, um, you know, would you say they ruin that now? I mean, uh, you know, if you think about their base of shareholders uh, prior to uh, the end of last year and uh, prior to that rights issue uh, and where that is now, um, I mean, what do you make of that? 136 million uh, shares in issue uh, up to around 264 million shares in issue uh, at probably, the, I guess, the worst time where uh, you probably want to be diluting any value. Indeed, but I mean, I think one has to realize that they were uh, quite desperate uh, at the time, and uh, the, there was a risk that they would breach their debt covenants and all those things, and they needed to raise capital. So oftentimes companies don't want to raise uh, equity capital. They would often raise uh, debt instead. But when times are desperate, when uh, the bankers don't want to lend you money, you're probably going to have to go to the equity holders and say, uh, can you put in some money into the business so that you can continue operating? And I think they had a, a valid excuse with the COVID-19 uh, impact on their on their business. T- talking about that COVID-19 impact, uh, I mean, that, um, you know, uh, write down of some of the assets that many of our listeners would be familiar with, Sun City, Boardwalk, Maslow, Santon. Um, I mean, is it just a sign of the times? And uh, I guess, are, are they maybe betting on, uh, all of this pent-up demand, because, you know, some people might say, you know, their shareholders, Alan Gray and uh, Value Capital Partners, uh, were, were holding out uh, on the basis of the long-term potential. They were holding out against a potential takeover offer from Latin America um, based on the long-term potential of the sector. Would, would you say they've overstated that? Or I guess, uh, do you also hold the view that pent-up demand might be, uh, I guess, the savior of this particular sector? No, I think there's a significant change in the business. And, and if one looks at how they arrive at these impairments, uh, basically they have to look forward and see what potential uh, cash flows these businesses can generate and then uh, discount them back to today. And the essence of it is that if there was a recovery that was embedded in these uh, valuations of the, of the assets, they would have basically been reflected by a lower impairment. And I think... This just reflects that their view of the world has actually deteriorated massively, particularly for Sun City, Boardwalk, and Maslow. The reality is that uh, in the long term, once we are out of the COVID situation, we probably will see a recovery in the sector, 
the tourism sector, the, the restaurant sector. I mean, there should be a, a, a decent recovery. Whether we would recover to 2019 levels uh, remains uh, open to question. And, uh, yeah, let's shift our attention to the retail sector now. Uh, wh- what do you make of uh, what's been happening out at Massmart and, uh, I guess, uh, the sale of some of the assets that they see as non-core, the likes of Cambridge Food, Rhino Cash and Carry, and uh, Massfresh? Yeah, I, I think I mean, uh, Massmart was also on the ropes. And you, you remember after Walmart bought into Massmart, I think it was around 150 rents, and their stock collapsed uh, to probably around the 30s. And the big thing has been the realization that they had expanded way too far into areas where they didn't have a competitive advantage. And one such area is the the food and the fresh area. I mean, those, those type of uh, products are actually highly perishable. You need to turn them around uh, fairly quickly. Otherwise, your losses accumulate fairly quickly. So I think that that exit, uh, is part of the strategy to basically uh, save on the cost and, and basically turn this business back to uh, good levels of profitability. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you make, I guess, of some of the other turnaround actions outside of the SADC region that they've undertaken? Yeah, look, they've been quite successful. I mean, uh, uh, unfortunately, these things have come with uh, loss of uh, jobs. I mean, if I take the Dion Wyatt, for example, that was co- completely shut down. I mean, it's unfortunate, but they, all they're trying to do is to try and uh, survive. They've been successful uh, to to actually uh, turn the business around. They they on their way to sta- stability now, but they're basically just selling these businesses that they think uh, would actually they don't have a, a excellence in actually running them. Mm, mm, mm. Talking about people, I guess, buying businesses left, right, and center, we'll certainly come back to, I guess, the story of Sibanya and uh, what they're putting out to the rumor mill. But uh, let's, let's maybe go to the, to the insurance sector there where I guess uh, many of those in the life insurance game, um, I was saying last week to, to one of our contributors, if you're in the insurance game, you probably double hit. On the one hand, you know, the, the death claims have gone up, but also uh, when it comes to premium income, many people have lost their jobs and unable to contribute to their premiums. Um, and it seems, uh, you know, that life insurance payouts have uh, exceeded half a trillion and are much higher uh, than uh, the amount allocated for social grants this year. And, and I'm quite interested in your views on this uh, as well, Ike, in light of some of the uh, provisions that uh, insurance companies have to make and the capital buffers that they need to put in place. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the numbers are astounding. I, I think the, there's no doubt about it. And uh, I think if one looks at the COVID-19 impact, and I mean, the, the, certainly the, the industry has been hit hard. And I think they've provided for those uh, losses, uh, most of them. And I, I think the, the question going forward is going to be whether uh, we're starting to see an improvement in the in the uh, loss ratio. I do think that we might see that uh, 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 towards the end of 2021, but it, it's been a tough year for the insurers. And uh, as you say, I mean, they, they, they've paid out more than the social grants. It is actually quite unpleasant if one thinks about it that uh, somebody has lost a brother, a father, a mother, uh, and essentially they they got the the payout from the insurance, and that that would never replace some of 
uh, the income that these people were earning. So it's unfortunate, but I mean, uh, it's a reality of life. And if you, if you look, at, I mean, at some of this data that's come out from uh, ASISA, the Association for Savings uh, and Investments in South Africa, what do you make of the capital allocation decisions during this time? I mean, the ASISA has come out and said, you know, the sector is well capitalized. But I'm quite interested, I guess, in, in uh, what you infer from a risk perspective in some of the uh, choices of uh, where the capital has been allocated. So we know many of these insurers hold multi-asset uh, portfolios. Uh, and it seems, I guess, in the South African context, probably equities underweight compared to uh, comparable, you know, uh, portfolios elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why uh, they are underweight equities because they tend to want the security of the income to basically have clarity in terms of the, the, the cash flows that they can generate. And I think the bonds, for example, uh, as you highlight in the multi-asset portfolio, would play a, an mm. important role in that. But I do think also sure. that uh, the, the volatility kind of uh, led them to shift slightly away from uh, equities. And I think that is probably a mistake uh, for those that did it because generally you get a bad patch and then it's probably the best time to invest in the, in the, in the equities. But long term, I do think that the SA bonds especially relative to international bonds, they probably do well. I mean, the, the yields are quite high. But relative to equities, probably our equities would recover a lot better than uh, the bonds. But and that mm-hmm. remains to be seen. It's been the story of the last three, four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, uh, uh, a lot of that story over the last sort of uh, half a decade or so has uh, made many throw out uh, sort of all of those, I guess, uh, theories between risk and return uh, in many of the finance <laughs> textbooks. I mean, if you look at how uh, the JSC, uh, the all shares performed in, in that period as well. But, but, but Zwelake, I guess, you know, the other issue, and uh, we heard, you know, the CEO of uh, uh, MMI uh, or, or Metropolitan saying uh, sometime last week that, you know, they're already costing in in their provisions a third wave of this pandemic. Now, if, um, if this virus mutates in different kinds, Kind of ways we might be dealing with this, you know, much longer than just a third wave. What's that going to mean for, I guess, the capital adequacy of some of the reserves these guys have, uh, but also, uh, I guess, what ends up happening when it comes to the liability side of things? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the third wave would probably, uh, first of all, the, the SA insurers, the financial services industry, is very well capitalized, very well capitalized. So uh, a lot of these businesses have quite a healthy amount of capital set aside, lots of excess uh, capital. I think, I think the, the third wave, what it would do is, uh, I mean, those that, like, like you said, the metropolitans, uh, the, the momentum, they're basically looking ahead and, and basically expecting that if it doesn't materialize, or it's, at least if it's not as bad as they expect it uh, to be, they, they'll definitely uh, pull back some of those provisions. But, in the current environment, they definitely uh, look vulnerable. I mean, we could have another cycle of uh, bad uh, performance numbers on the on the JC insurers, and only then would the the, the, the thing start tearing up. And I think the rollout of the of the vaccine is really the thing that 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 worries us. Uh, whether we would be able to roll out at a pace that can shorten the time period 
uh, mm. during which we would be at risk. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's 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 one of the big headaches um, for many a uh, investor in the insurance sector. Many of those who work in the sector as well, uh, because yeah. um, you know, if, if we to find ourselves where you know there's uh, glitches in the vaccine process, there's uh, multiple mutations of this thing, um, and we find ourselves in a moment where we might see sort of subsequent spikes and surges in deaths. Uh, it might uh, certainly, I guess, uh, be the chink in the armor of, of a sector, as you say, that's very, uh, very, very well capitalized. Let, let's shift our attention to the gold sector. And uh, yeah, I mean, commodities and the mineral sector certainly uh, had uh, a year filled with sunshine, if I can put it that way, or maybe the last few months or so. <laughs> uh, but um, I mean, what do you make of uh, Sabanye, which... Um, I guess, is already on its way to become a mega commodity producer itself, um, you know, alongside the likes of the Newmonts and the Barracks of the world. Um, coming out in the way that they've done, it's not the first time they've done this, saying, look, Tina, if we have the money uh, and people are keen, uh, we'd come out any day and buy Anglo Gold, Ashanti and Goldfield. What, yeah. What's the play um, what's, what's the play here? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have to ask yourself what what do they want to achieve? I mean, they're already a big company, and they've been quite successful uh, in consolidating some of the gold miners. Their timing was very fortuitous, and uh, I think you have to give credit to Neil Foneman for uh, picking up uh, those assets at the right time. But I think mm. where we are, I think it looks quite ballsy to to think about. Uh, going for an acquisition, probably the worst time because you're actually coming uh, behind the curve of the peak in the gold sector, for example. And I think some of the things that he cited is the, uh, the, the, the important things to why they need to do it. I mean, I, I find them ridiculous. So if you think about Newmont or Newcrest, uh, why would they want to come to South Africa? I mean, there's already mm. a very complicated uh, BE regime. There is also a very deep level mining that, that is happening, which uh, puts uh, the, the returns on invested capital quite at risk. So sure, it, it, sure. you need a unique uh, operator to be in South Africa. So the, the, the justification of wanting to buy other guys on the basis of a foreign buyer coming and taking them out. I don't think uh, that makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. I think more it, it's more about building an empire, uh, I mean, from, from where I'm sitting. But you see, as well, like in many other sectors, people would want to build empire because they know the scale benefits that come with it. They know in a tough environment, you can underprice or outprice everybody from the marketplace. Uh, you know, market dominance, in a sense, gives you certain... Uh, operational and uh, I guess market advantages. I'm sitting here looking at the gold sector and I'm like, here in South Africa we have some of the deepest ore bodies in the world. Uh, and if we were to create a mega miner tomorrow, what would that do? I mean, I, I'm just trying to understand what, what, what would be different about how we mine, uh, what value we get uh, when, you know, at the end of the day, I guess we, we also a price taker in that sense. I think your, your point is spot on. Uh, so, if you think about a mine, I mean, there are shafts uh, from Trackstop all the way to Mpumalanga. And how do you get synergies out of that? You, I mean, you hardly get 
any synergies other than uh, taking out the head of his court. So there is definitely there is definitely no value in actually thinking about synergies in this in this kind of uh, uh, mm. sector. Mm. Uh, like you say, we are mining at deeper levels. I mean, what 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 more? It, it becomes more complicated. The the refrigeration costs or, or the the cooling costs become higher. The cost of supporting uh, the mine infrastructure is higher. Uh, I mean, uh, why would you want to consolidate in this sector? It doesn't make sense. Um, I guess maybe the answer to that might be ego. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you said it, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I yeah, think yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, Neil comes from a long way, and some of us would remember that he was at uh, Af Lease, which didn't really take off. Okay. Uh, but you know, he, he's been successful this time around, and I think he, he deserves the credit. I think uh, the, the the what appears on the surface is that the business's cash flush, instead of sticking to what he promised when he. Uh, uh, took Sibanya over. He he said he's going to pay out dividends, and he seems to be veering away from that whole thing. He's been buying other businesses continuously. So, you know, the time he might not be so uh, fortuitous as it was in the past. So, I, I definitely yeah, yeah. think that uh, he. he, he He'd better be cautious on this one. Sure. Well, I mean, I guess maybe ego is a bit harsh, but I think it is a combination of ego and ambitions for what he wants his legacy to be. We know in the next few years or, or so uh, he's set to retire. And uh, I like the point you're making that he made a promise when he was building this sort of mega miner that we have, which is Sabanya Stillwater now, that, you know, they would get to a point where they would plateau and start paying shareholders. Um, and uh, certainly from what you're seeing, Zulaka, you're suggesting that uh, it seems the messaging is shifting somewhat uh, towards a shopping spree rather than maybe a payday for for shareholders. Indeed, indeed, and, and and just I mean on this whole thing about consolidation, it's not a new thing. There was a company uh, which still listed the Harmony Gold under Benatonic Pool, where it went out and bought all the old shafts that were owned by the bigger miners that were running away from the challenging uh, operating environment. And they became very successful. But eventually that caught up with them. You know, the, 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 where the, the depth of mining, the cost of production caught up with them. And when the gold uh, price went into a bear market, they actually struggled. I mean, they, they were actually bailed, by, bailed out by the gold price. Uh, so what Neil Froman is proposing is not new. And what we've seen in the past for, for example, from a, a harmony gold uh, situation, you know, it, it can work for a short time, but eventually it doesn't work out. I mean, uh, harmony got to a point where it wanted to uh, take uh, uh, gold fields over and, and mm. uh, in a hostile manner. So, so I think we are almost there, and it, it's quite concerning. So the, the shift mm. from the message, original messaging is quite concerning. Yeah. Do you not think it's a safe gamble, Zulake? I mean, just a last uh, comment on you, and a safe gamble, because I'll tell you why I say this. I mean, the stimulus checks doing the rounds, you know, uh, in, in Europe, in the U.S. and uh, in China. Um, and many people are really banking, I guess, on a super cycle here for many in the commodities game, just based on sort of credit and uh, money conditions in, in, in the marketplace globally. 
would you not say that it's a fair gamble to say, you know, let's let's consolidate now so that by the time the price environment gives us some uh, sunshine and hay, uh, we'll be able, I guess, to to make a brief exit once the bear market comes again. I think that one has to go a level lower to say what is the cost of production. I mean, many of these uh, miners are producing at around 1,100, 1,200 all in cost. And I think why I don't think it's a safe bet is that as the price comes down, what, what the price has enabled is for them to go to some of the shafts where the cost of production was 1,400 and mm-hmm. the gold price went to 2,200 and they basically were able to mine those because suddenly these things are profitable. And as sure, the price sure. of gold pulls back, you're basically going to get uh, a challenge uh, in terms of some of these shafts. You're going to have to cut, uh, shut down production. So I definitely mm-hmm. think that they are sailing too close to the wind with uh, an acquisition spree. It's probably the wrong time for it. Yeah, yeah. Kwabe, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, my brother, and uh, to uh, hear your very deep insights into the space. And I think that last comment, uh, just on uh, the cost conditions in the sector, um, I mean, if, if, if the price were to shift at least by $100 or so, uh, people would start to get very, very worried. And when I say shift, I mean shift downwards. But as always, we're like a, a pleasure catching up with you, my brother, and thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, yeah, the comment as well I'm making there is uh, that uh, consolidation hasn't only been in that sector, but uh, if you think about uh, just the JSC as well, over 900 listings around uh, the mid-90s, and uh, there's about 350 people in that market now. Uh, so uh, that's something to chew on. Let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we go into our Shop Stewards Corner.